0: Hey there, you're listening to the Business Life & Coffee Podcast, episode number 140. Last week, we caught up with a young influencer in the making, Sidney Rivera. And on this week's podcast, we're joined by Vincent Lotiempo, an IP attorney and an expert on intellectual property law. You can sit back and enjoy our half-hour crash course on intellectual property. It is power-packed. Our topics include why should startup founders learn about intellectual property The difference between getting a patent and getting a trademark, Vincent's mystery client whose product is famous worldwide, and the rules for getting a really successful patent or trademark. This week's episode is brought to you with support from our sponsor, Bench Accounting. If you act now, you are able to save a ton of money on your bookkeeping services this year. I'm a proud user of Bench, and I cannot tell you how much time I've gotten back And how much confidence I have in my finances using bench accounting. You should really check it out. Now, our reviewer of the week is Karen at Interview Valet. And Karen says Joey does a wonderful job interviewing each guest. He offers a variety of guests and topics. His style is authentic and he really makes you feel like you're listening in on two friends talking. I highly recommend subscribing to the Business Life and Coffee podcast. You will not be disappointed. Hey, Karen. Thank you so much for that review. Two friends talking, wow, that's the pinnacle of uh, success for a podcast when it feels like there's a strong rapport and uh, the relationship is strong with the the people on the mic. So I really appreciate you, Karen. And of course, I want to hear from you as well. So make sure you subscribe and review on iTunes so I can read your review on an upcoming episode. While you're listening, screenshot this episode and share to your IG, InstaStory or Twitter and tag me at Joey HR so we can connect because I love sharing your posts on my InstaStory too. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Hey guys,
1: it's your girl Ashley Graham and you are listening to Business Life and Coffee Podcast with your boy Joey Price.
0: All right, thank you for joining this episode of the Business Life & Coffee Podcast. We are joined with Vincent Lotempio, who is an expert on intellectual property law. Now, patent law, copyright questions, and trademarks can be confusing, So a lot of people trust Vincent and his law firm to sort out all those things. And today we're going to have a conversation about why intellectual property matters for a startup founder, as well as what types of intellectual property exist, and then other fun conversations we'll have about Vincent's experience that he would like to share with us. So without further ado, Vincent, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I really enjoy doing these podcasts.
0: Yeah, well, Vincent, thank you for agreeing to come on today. Could you, at a very high level, introduce the answer to why a startup founder needs to know about intellectual property?
1: Well, well, first, I always like to say intellectual properties, both a shield and a sword. So you get a trademark registration, you get a patent registered. You know, if somebody tries to stop you from using your own name, from using your own product that you developed, you have a shield. You know, it stops anybody from from stopping you from doing it. And it's the sword. You can cut somebody off below the knees if they start copying your idea. And that's the biggest fear everybody has. Of course, I have this great idea. That's why inventors come to me with their their secrets and they don't want to tell anybody what it is. Is. They don't even want to tell me as their lawyer what it is when I first start talking to them is they're afraid someone's going to copy it. So what happens if they copy it? You have that sword to stop them, cut them off below the knees and stop them. So those are you know, the basic ideas there of, of why you want to protect your intellectual property.
0: All right, great. And you helped protect someone that created something very, very famous. That's a quick teaser. We're going to jump to that in a little bit. But uh, you helped someone create an intellectual property or protect their intellectual property. And you're on the History Channel for it uh, on a show called Million Dollar Genius. We're going to jump into to that for a little bit but why is failing to file trademark and patent applications why can that ruin a startup
1: well like i said at the beginning of a startup money is such a premium and you're worried about what i should spend it on and what i shouldn't spend it on and you're thinking well no one's going to steal my name but when it happens or somebody tells you to stop you know you have all your menus or if you're a restaurant or all your products on a shelf and they say okay you have to destroy all products you have to take your name off of it that could just be catastrophic one case that just pops in my mind it wasn't a case that i had but i saw it on 60 minutes the guys i forget the guy's name but they called him the mensch of massachusetts and he invented the um, way to uh, the you know these first these fluffy sweatshirts i don't know what they're made out of he invented like cortex or something oh,
0: wow. and,
1: and the sweatshirts and he had a whole town in Massachusetts you know working for him selling these sweatshirts and then he never got the patent on it and he, all of a sudden once he started selling millions of these things he started getting copied by everybody else and they basically ran him out of business and if he would have just got the patent on that and i always say you know when you let's just say a patent costs ten thousand dollars to get by the time you're done spending everything on it if if you don't ever sell anything that ten thousand dollars always is will be a million dollars. You're just throwing it out the window. But if you end up selling millions of dollars worth of product and you didn't spend ten thousand dollars to protect it, and you lose all those millions of dollars, then it's well, it's shame on you because because you had that chance and that opportunity to protect it and you didn't do it. So at the end of the day, you got to have confidence in yourself that you're going to be able to take this thing to that next level, and you're going to want to have it protected. You know, one way or the other, you're going to want to have it protected.
0: Okay, so a patent application is basically an investment in yourself and an investment in your future. So when should a startup founder, entrepreneur, a person who has an idea, could you delineate when a person should file a trademark and when they should file a patent application?
1: that's a great question you know there's different ways you' you lose your rights and you gain your rights for patents and trademarks so for a patent you know they used to talk about the uh the poor man's patent you put it in an envelope and you mail it back to yourself
0: I remember that yeah we used to do that with songs back in the day when we when I was an artist and played in a band and we would do that to capture our uh, our music
1: yeah so this way down the road if somebody says that they had it first you can prove you had it on that date because you got them you know the mail stamp right on it but in the patent rules have changed now the patent rules are that the first person to file wins the race so even if you prove that you 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 came up with it first if they got to the patent office and beat you to the patent office they win the race so for patents right now they have what's known and every and you know, I think every small entrepreneur recognizes it but but you know you, you told me to you know, start with the fundamentals they have a provisional patent and a non-provisional so a provisional patent you can it doesn't have all the requirements of the non the the non-provisional you can do it you can file it for a lot cheaper the government fees a lot cheaper in fact i I actually quote them out at $1,500 to start with a provisional. And basically, the provisional gives you one year to try to go out and market it and see if you can get any kind of traction on your invention. And then you have to file your non-provisional within that year. And then the non-provisional has all the formal requirements, a little bit more expensive. You know, attorneys get paid by their time. I don't know if you've ever heard the famous Abraham Lincoln, you know, quote that he says, uh, you know, attorney's stock and trade is his time. And so if you have a very complex patent that's going to take, you know, many hours to draft versus a minimal complex patent, you know, which is going to say, take maybe 10 to 25 hours to draft, you gotta figure that the attorney's gonna charge you by an hour. And you know, we charge a lot of money per hour. I charge three hundred dollars an hour. Um, so that's you know, they'll get you up to the you know five, six, seven thousand pretty quick if that's how complex it is. So you have the opportunity to for fifteen hundred dollars and file, the provisional just to preserve the filing date. So it gives you one year to go out there and see. And I talked about before, if you're making millions of dollars, it's worth spending ten thousand dollars to protect it. But if you're not making anything, well, maybe not it's such a good idea to spend. all that kind of money on protecting it so it gives you a chance to see if you can get some traction to see if you get a manufacturer on board or or on the shelf in the store or something or somebody's interested and you can see if you can go with it non-provisional now the trademark is a little different the trademark you get uh, common-law rights from the minute you start using it in public so you put a coca-cola on your bottle and you start selling it everywhere in the world. I mean, I've been to um, different countries in the world, they sell it everywhere. And every time you sell it somewhere and use it somewhere, you gain common law rights because you're the first person to use it. When you register your trademark, a lot of people get this confused. They call me up and say, hey, I want to trademark something. Well, you've already trademarked it the minute you started to use it. When the minute you started to put your podcast name up there, that's your brand, that's your name, you own that trademark, you own common law rights in it. What we do is we register the trademark so you have statutory rights. And what does statutory rights do for you? Well, it gives you the whole entire country automatically because you're, you're federally registering it with the federal government and you get rights throughout the country. country. First you're just gonna get your geographic rights of where you're using it. And now with the internet geographic rights have expanded. You know, I, I personally brand myself all over the world. I I filed patents with people from Russia, China, a guy from Kuwait just called me. I can You name a place and I've, I've registered a patent or a trademark, Japan, people all over the country, all over the world. So, you know, that's an issue with um, trademark. You want to start using that name right away in many different places you can, because when it comes right down to it, the argument is going to be who used it first. With the patents, it's not going to be who used it first, who invented first, or who filed it first. So it's a race to the patent office.
0: Patents file first. Trademarks, you have some time, but you wanna start using your name right away. We're joined by Vincent Lotempio, who is an expert on intellectual property law. And Vincent, this has been a crash course in intellectual property law so far. I'm loving it. Now, earlier I mentioned that you helped someone incredibly famous, even if they're not famous, their idea is famous. Uh, Wayne Fromm, people may not know that name, but Wayne Fromm is the inventor of the selfie stick. Talk to me about working with Wayne and uh, how was that experience for you?
1: Well, I'm still working with him. He's constantly filing new stuff, new ideas on how to hold a camera. We just got a patent from literally a, a week or so ago. We just mailed it out to him. I'm in Western New York and he's in Toronto, which is really close. You know, Toronto is like the New York City of Canada. It's a you know big cultural um, place to go. It's a great city. Um, and, and he wanted to get an attorney to work with him in the U.S. that was close, and we basically met in a coffee shop just like this and who knew at the time that I was going to get some national exposure even even when I was filming the show I was telling my wife I'm like I can't believe this is me in here doing it. And uh, yeah, so we we do a lot of like uh, protecting his patent and his trademark, like on Amazon and Alibaba and all these places where constantly, you know, it's like the, it's kind of like the boy with his finger in the dike, you know, trying to stop all these leaks. But you could just imagine how many different selfie sticks there are. And, you know, he invented his particular selfie stick and it's kind of like Thomas Edison being the first one with the light bulb. He doesn't own all the light bulbs from here on in. I mean, the LED light bulbs today are so much different than... In that incandescent bulb that he invented so many years ago. So his his selfie stick was before the, the advent of of the reversible camera with on the cell phones. His selfie stick was made to be used with an actual camera at the time. And uh but we've we've gone a long way with Wayne and and even on the video itself. And I can send you the link. There's a link at the History Channel to go right to the video. It's a great video. Um and it's and people could watch it. I'll I'll, I'll email it to you when we're done with this podcast so you could include it in the links. But uh, At the very end of it, I say, look, I can tell other people after working with Wayne, he's just a regular guy like you and me, that anybody could make something that's universal like this and it could happen to anybody. It's not going to be easy and it's not going to happen to everybody, but it can be done. And here's an example of it. And even my experience in my short career, I've been working as a patent attorney for like 19 years now. I've got a couple other big corporate clients and, and I actually um, worked on the copyright for Buck Rogers in the 25th century and somehow some way I'm just you know just a guy starting a law practice and I somehow some way you know got some national exposure and some universally known clients you know along with the mother with the new baby bottle nipple and you know and, and all you know the independent inventors and I, I really enjoy working with independent inventors as much as I do with the big corporate clients that have you know research and development teams distribution channels, marketing all set up, you know, manufacturing to the person that has nothing, just the idea and everything in between. And it's it's been quite a ride for me just to meet all these different people. And, and even like I said, when I was watching myself on nationwide TV, I turned to my wife and says, how the hell did I get on here? I don't understand how it worked.
0: <laughs> well, hey, hey Vincent, we're gonna talk a little bit more about working with uh, the average guy, the average Joe, the average Jane in a second. I wanna jump back to working with Wayne for a second with the selfie stick. I imagine, and I'm sure listeners imagine that there's a lot of competition in that space. So just out of curiosity, what does it look like when you're in a position where someone is introducing a new selfie stick or a technology that mimics or or tries to replicate what Wayne created. Do you ever have to send like cease and desist letters or what's that process like?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, we've sent hundreds of them out for Wayne and we've worked out deals, licensing agreements, you know, threatened for lawsuits. But it's like it's almost impossible to sue everybody. But Wayne, you'll see in the video, he talks about making two million dollars in one month on QVC. So I think a big part of it is I always say to inventors, if people start copying you, that's probably a good thing because it means you're making money. Nobody's copying you if you're not making any money. So at the end of the day, we got to protect our little space and we'll send out cease and desist letters. We'll get them taken down on Alibaba or eBay or, or wherever they are. There's a lot of different tools at our disposal. But still, it has to be they're copying your thing the way you made it and and they're using your name. And then, you know, if it's so blatant and so intentional, then we actually have to sue and we actually start the lawsuit. And, you know, that's what happens. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough role, especially for the independent vendor that doesn't have the money. You know, Wayne now has the wherewithal, you know, he's made so much money he has so many different inventions since then. And and even before then, you know, you can go on his website and you'll see he's got uh, uh, Mattel toys and and all all different kind of stuff that he's come up with. But he's a he's a, a true inventor, entrepreneur. He's a true guy that's just always thinking of a new way to do something easier or better. And he's just a great example of a success story that uh, it's, it, it's never a perfect road. You know, nobody has the same road. Everybody says, give me the roadmap. And I always say, look, it's not a lottery ticket. It's not going to sell itself you have to figure out how to market you have to figure out how to you know manufacture you have to figure out how to distribute a product and what happens to a lot of small inventors is they end up with uh these you know invention companies that they rip them off essentially you know um i don't want to name names but there's a company out there that i'm thinking about writing a blog post about it and maybe just put their names out, holding them out to it where they had a court ordered disclaimer on their website that says uh um, how many people have come to them and gave them money, and how many people actually made more money than they spent? You know, to get that. So the number of people that came to them and gave them the number was eight hundred and sixty thousand people. What do you think the number was at? How many people actually made money?
0: Out of eight hundred and sixty thousand, I I think probably twenty five percent of that. So somewhere around, uh, yeah, like like twenty five percent of that.
1: No, it was it was zero point. It was .001 percent. It was um, good, five yes. people. Five people,
0: <laughs> like Luke Cage says, "Sweet Christmas." <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'll I'll send you that link and let people look at that as well. And you can look right at that link. I'll, I'll send you two links when I get off the one the one for the selfie stick and the one for this court ordered um, disclaimer that they had to put up on their site. And, it's, and of course, they have it hidden at the bottom of the site. And nobody ever sees it.
0: Well, yeah, the, and that would be good information for our, our listeners to have because I'm sure someone is listening and. They're 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 curious how to evaluate an attorney or a a investment partner to work with. So if you could, I'll, I'll ask you two questions. The first being, how should our listener assess or evaluate a potential partner to register their trademark or patent and then if we could kind of play shark tank for a little bit with your experience and say what do you think it takes to get a really successful trademark or a really successful patent
1: okay yeah, those are great questions um first you know as far as getting a great patent or a great trademark and trademarks first everybody wants to come in and have a trademark that's very descriptive you know Joe's cleaning shop I mean those are very weak trademarks right off the bat because a trademark is supposed to be distinguish you from everybody else it's supposed to be a distinguisher they call it a source indicator it indicates who the source of the goods are so when I go into Dick's Sporting Goods and I buy a pair of sneakers and I see the Nike swoosh on a sneaker I know that it has to be manufactured by Nike it can't be Adidas or Puma or anybody else so I'm protected as the consumer So I know who my product is. And it also protects the manufacturer because now nobody else could use their mark and and dilute their mark and make it a weak mark by making crummy products and and people buying it and saying, oh, they're a terrible um, company. Look at the product I made. Well, they didn't even make the product. Somebody's copying their product. So that protects the manufacturer. So when you're picking your trademark, they call it inherent distinctiveness. So it's inherently distinctive if it's suggestive or it's arbitrary or it's fanciful. So what do I mean by that? If it's a suggestive mark would be like copper tone, you put this liquid on your skin and you get this copper tone look to it or Dunkin' Donuts. What are we dunking this donut in? It's suggesting we're selling coffee. Arbitrary mark is an apple on a computer. It's arbitrarily thrown on there. It has nothing to do with computers, but it's very strong. If I can put this Apple on the computer, a lot of people are going to buy it because people will recognize my trademark. Um, the fanciful one is you throw in 10 letters into a, a into a box and you pull out Kodak or Exxon or Xerox. You just make up a name. Those are the inherently distinctive strong marks right out of the box. So. You know, people want descriptive marks, which are the weaker marks, or even generic marks, which are can't even they're not even considered a mark. You can't, you know, trademark the word shoe. Anybody selling shoes is going to be able to sell shoes. You can't own that word. So try to avoid. Those inherently weak marks, distinctively weak marks. So, you know, that you could have a descriptive mark like Best Buy or McDonald's hamburgers, and then it becomes acquired distinctiveness after millions and billions of dollars spent on advertising and selling things that acquires its own distinctiveness. You know, though, when you walk into McDonald's, it's not Joe McDonald back there flipping hamburgers. Those are very strong marks. I'm sorry, but I kind of forgot what the first question was. I got into the trade.
0: Okay. So the question you answered was uh, what does it take to get a really good patent? Or trademark. And then the other question was How should a listener assess or vet the person that they work with when filing a patent or trademark?
1: Yeah, you know, I say this to my kids, you know, growing up as far as being in school and i say the same thing to new inventors there's three things they have to do in life to be successful you have to be book smart you have to be street smart and you have to network and you know especially with the social media today with linkedin and and with you know the ability to just go on the internet and google anything you could you can network and meet as many people as you can so first network you know i have a list of like model makers and product developers and branders that other patent, other inventors and other people have worked with in the past that they felt comfortable with. So I've kind of thrown together a list, and now it's getting to a couple pages on, on a Word document, and I, I give it to new inventors, and I say, you know, I don't have anything in the no in skin in the game with these people I'm not going to make any money you can go to them not go to them and don't even just call one person and use them call all 20 people and go to school on them start asking them questions what does it take to manufacture how much is it going to cost where are all the parts where does it have to be delivered how how do I have to store it how do I get on QVC what do they want You know. so that's the book smart you got to educate yourself through networking and be as book smart as you can and just learn what what is the cost of the, to doing business what does it need and it's not this stuff is not easy it's it's a lot of hard work and you know I jokingly say I have blog posts and YouTube videos I have 200,000 views on my my YouTube channel I say I I sit at my desk until 2 in the morning till my ass hurts keep clicking on the computer trying to figure all this stuff out and teach myself how to do it you have to be that person as the inventor you have to be sitting at that computer till 2 in the morning and and it's time to go to bed and you're still asking more questions and that's the you know that's kind of the book smart and the street smart and the street smart part of it is is avoiding the bully on protecting your yourself with the um, trademarks and the and the patents and the copyrights and not going heads up against a bully. I tell my kids, you know, if you see the bully, you don't try to go up to him and fight him and tell him how they're wrong. You run. You go in the other direction. If it means sprinting and running, you go in the other direction. So street smart is figuring out who the bully is. And after speaking to people and sitting in that coffee shop, you know, looking at them eye to eye, getting your gut feeling and deciding, is this the kind of person I want to work with? If you have any questions in your mind, don't work with them. Today I was listening on the radio, I guess, the what is it, Baker Mayfield. He's one of the quarterbacks they're going to pick in the NFL. And there's a rumor out there that some NFL team has hired a private detective to follow him around and watch him. And one of the guys on the radio says, well, if they're that nervous about him and they don't think he's a, the right person for them to draft, maybe they shouldn't even be thinking about You know Why waste the money to have somebody follow them around? So if you have that feeling in your gut that this just isn't the right guy, then trust yourself. At the end of the day, you have to trust your own feeling and you gotta trust yourself. So book smart, street smart, networking. That's what you gotta do.
0: Yeah, and Vincent, to your point about trusting your gut, I mean, at the end of the day, It's your call who you work with. And I tell that for, I was giving the same advice for a friend who was looking to start her podcast. And I was telling her, you know, you're always in control of the content that you create. So if if something doesn't work out, like you don't have to release it. And so it's similar advice for someone looking to engage in a partner to help with their IP, whether it's their IP law, whether it's their finances, whether it's their HR, whatever, as the owner of the company, as the person responsible for the quality of the final outcome. Trust your gut and go with someone that you have peace about.
1: Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the only one that has to look in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. You have to decide if what you're doing is right and what you want to do. And and that's you. You're the boss. You're the boss of whatever you do every single day.
0: That's right. Well, hey, Vincent, it's been awesome having you on the show. I know that you've got a a special for our listeners. Uh, For those of you who have made it this far through the episode, uh, you're going to get an offer, a discounted rate on IP services at Vincent's firm. So we're going to include a link in the show notes. So make sure you click so that you can go through and you'll get a discount. You'll be able to uh, work on your trademark, your patents. I know you guys also do non-disclosure and licensing agreements as well. So if you have questions about that, Vincent's uh, firm will, will be able to assist. And Vincent, I like to give the guest the last word for the show. So in the final closing seconds, what do you want to leave our audience with today?
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, work as hard as you can. Have that fire in your belly. Realize that you're the person that's in control. You have to be the general contractor, if you will, and look to see Each element of the manufacturing, marketing, and distribution, teach yourself as much as you can about those three things because your idea is not like a lottery ticket. It's not going to sell itself. You have to sell the product.
0: If you've recently started a business, why take away time from what you're good at, only to focus on difficult, pesky HR problems? Jumpstart HR LLC offers a better solution. Jumpstart HR provides HR outsourcing support to US-based small businesses and startups and was recently ranked among the top 10 HR outsourcing firms in the country according to businessnewsdaily.com. From recruitment to employee handbooks to legal compliance, Jumpstart HR helps you get peace of mind about the people in your business. Visit jumpstart-hr.com for more information or follow on Twitter at Jumpstart HR. Jumpstart HR, let's build a better business
1: together. Thanks for listening to the Business Life and Coffee Show with Joey Price.